Um, so if you will flip over to 12.15, which they didn't even put numbers on that page, but for whatever reason. Uh, this is the third letter of John, and I can totally understand because when's the last time you heard a sermon from 3 John? Uh, 3 John, this is the same John who wrote the gospel, but uh, a different letter. He writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we can laugh about these things because the good news is that all of Scripture is your truth. And we can stand confident in it, knowing that it speaks to our hearts. And so whether we read from John chapter 3 or 3 John, these are, these are the words of life. And so we are asking, Father, we know that if the Spirit is not in us, they can sound like a gong or a cymbal, just resounding on and on and on. But Lord, if we have your Spirit within us, we can hear truth from you and we can understand because the Spirit brings illumination and understanding to our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, we pray as we study together as your people that you would be amongst us and that you would help us to see with great clarity what it is that you have for us to see this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Truth and love. Truth and love. Two words that have so many different definitions. I could start out by saying truth and love and you have absolutely no idea what I will say next. Truth could be my truth could be your truth, could be his truth, could be her truth, could be their truth. What is truth? It seems purely subjective. That There's almost no absolute truth these days, according to society. And love, my goodness, are we talking about romantic love? Are we talking about brotherly love? Are we talking about agape love? And is this love that is tolerance and acceptance or is it love as long as you and I see eye to eye or as long as you and I are in total agreement on political issues or is it just a feeling or an emotion 
Is love self-defined? Well, love is love. The world today is tied up in knots over these two words. Can a person have truth and not love? Can a person have love and not truth? Here's the reality. I don't expect the world to get this right. I don't have hope that, uh, that this world will become a better place because this is not our home. But at the same time, I have not been called to run out into the hills and build a bunker and store up ammo. But rather, we have been called to look on a dying world that does not know truth and does not understand love. And we are called to be salt and light And we are called to encourage one another. And we are called to gather as we are right now as the people of God declaring the praise of God. And then we go out into that world bearing witness that we have a message that is far better than any other message that it will hear. And we are called to live that out. So whether you are very young, or you are very old, if you put your faith, if you put your saving trust in Jesus Christ, then this is our calling, obedient to the truth, walked out in love. Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink, was a a Reformed theologian who wrote quite a a number of books. He wrote several thousand copies of of a magazine that was distributed. And his writing is extremely helpful. He lived in the late 1800s and died in about 1950. In fact, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who uh, our dear friend R.T. Kendall succeeded at Westminster Chapel... Martin Lloyd-Jones once said to a a group of preachers, he said, don't waste your time reading some of these theologians like Karl Barth and and, and Bruner. Read Pink. Pink would uh, tour around America and Australia preaching and teaching, but he was never really a well-known commodity until after he died. Pink finished out his living uh, his last days living in isolation with his wife uh, way up secluded in northern Scotland. And the couple were never really grounded in any church. They never really had any real community. In fact, Lloyd-Jones also said of Pink, now he's recommended his writing, but here's what he said of Pink as it related to his ability to be patient with people and remain in a particular church to set down roots. Here's what Lloyd-Jones says. If I had behaved as Pink did, I would have achieved nothing, nothing at all. I could see that the only hope was to let the weight of truth convince people. So I had to be very patient and take the very long-term look at things. Otherwise, I would have been dismissed and the whole thing would have been finished. 
Here was a man who was grounded in the truth and yet for whatever reason was not walking it out. His own friends testified against him on this. That's why Scripture is careful to teach us that we must walk these two things out together, that we be marked as people of truth. Yes, that we would be strong in our convictions, that we would hold fast to the Word of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God, but that we would also be marked by love and generosity and compassion and humility and grace and hospitality and care because these are the markings of Jesus' life and earthly ministry. And we see that here taking place in this letter, the shortest letter in the Bible, John's third epistle. As we've already heard, John has written his gospel. John's written, writes the book of Revelation. And then he wrote three letters. The first letter that he writes was to a general audience. And then in his second letter, he writes to a specific church. And here in his third letter, he writes a very personal, uh, writes to a very personal and specific person. What is 3 John? What is our context? What will help us read this with a proper understanding? As we said, this is a letter written by the Apostle John, who when he was young was termed with his brother James, the sons of thunder by Jesus. The sons of thunder. Because when the disciples were turned away from hospitality in a Samaritan village, James and John asked Jesus, could they ask for fire to fall down from heaven and judge these people, a la Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And Jesus rebukes them. Because the Son of Man's first coming was not one for judgment, but to preach the good news and, and, and to bring healing and to bring life. But compare that young John to this John in his writing of this third letter. He's simply referred to as the elder. From a brash and arrogant young man full of fire to this wise and gentle and loving older man who is full of truth and full of love. What happened to John? Well, we know John witnessed Jesus performing miracles. We know that John listened to Jesus as he taught. We know that John witnessed the transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets on the mountain with Jesus. He witnessed his, own, his Lord being crucified as he's the only disciple that stood there. And we know that Jesus entrusted his own mother to John's care. And then we know he saw his Lord resurrected to new life. It, he's a man who has over this time been well discipled. He's been well used by the Lord. 
And John is writing this letter to a man called Gaius. We don't, we don't really know anything about Gaius. He doesn't appear to be in any sort of leadership. All we see is that Gaius's character was what has been reported to John about him. We see there's obviously some conflict in the church over who was trustworthy. Preachers would visit from house church to house church, and uh, they needed other believers to show them hospitality in order for them to continue in this sort of itinerant preaching ministry. In John's second epistle, in 2 John, he warns them, the believers, not to welcome or even greet the false preachers uh, because that only helps promote their message. He's saying, do not endorse what they are saying. But the faithful ones, those faithful teachers, those faithful preachers, you welcome in. Bring them in. Well, what are the distinguishing marks between a false teacher and a faithful teacher? These weren't denominational issues. They weren't arguing over baptism. They were disagreeing over whether Christ actually came to earth physically. John says, leave those people alone. The faithful teachers were testified to by the truth itself. You could hear their message and know right away, this is true. This is, this is the gospel of old that we have heard, that was preached to us, that our hearts responded to, that our, that our, our spirits came alive with. Meaning their message was from the word of God for the people of God. But you see, these preachers would have had great difficulty making their way around to preach. There was no Holiday Inn. There was no Motel 6 for them to stay in when they visit a town. They had to rely entirely on the hospitality of the church, of the believers in those towns. Which is why hospitality is such a major issue in the early church. When Jesus sends out the 12 and the 72, he tells them that they will be provided for by the people of peace. When Paul writes to the Romans, he fully expects that they will support him in his mission journey to Spain. The book of Hebrews urges the hearers not to neglect hospitality to strangers. Two great needs for all of these, and it is truth and it is love. In order for the gospel to go out. So John writes to Gaius, and we read in verse 1, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. What an affectionate opening. Beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. What does it mean to love in truth? I think he's saying he is one who is, continues to be faithful to the truth concerning our Lord Jesus Christ as it was heard from the beginning. The, the, the truth is what binds us together. The truth is our commonality. Our greatest commonality. The truth is what builds us in love together as a people. And how do we know love? We know love from the truth. 
Again, from John's letters, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Because the truth of the gospel, because of that truth of the gospel, we are able to love, indeed we are called to love one another. Then listen to what John writes in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. This is sort of the opposite of what we often pray, isn't it? We often pray for people to be physically protected. We pray for their safety so that their soul will be protected. This is probably a, 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 an adoption of some of the health and wealth and prosperity mentality. As long as you are, are healthy, as long as you are well, then your, soul, then your faith is going well. And when you are unwell, it, it, it has some link to your faith, we think. Or, or it implies that you are struggling that your faith is struggling because you're dealing with sickness, you're dealing with illness. Your, your body is this depiction of what's happening with your soul. <laughs> when that is the complete opposite of what John is saying here. He says, I pray all may go well with you that you would be in good health as it is going well with your soul. How does he know that it's going well with Gaius' soul? Because of the very next verse. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. John knows it goes well with Gaius' soul because he is living out the truth of the gospel. They testified about his faithfulness to the gospel. Now I know it says your truth and, and for us in this audience today hearing those words and we think, uh-oh, what's Gaius' truth? It could be loopy. What he's saying is how Gaius is living matches the truth of the gospel. How he portrays himself to, to those around him matches what Christ calls us to. Gaius is living out the truth of the gospel in love. He is walking in the truth. John emphasizes that Gaius's faithfulness involves not just holding to the true doctrine, but there is also persistence in action consistent with it. And in verse 4, John says that his greatest joy is not that his... 401k is strong. It, it, it's not that his, his children's academic and athletic successes are great. It's not that the design of his home is beautiful. It's not that his favorite sports team has won a big game. But his greatest joy is that his children are walking in the truth. 
In fact, John says that his joy is complete when his children maintain fellowship with him and walk in the truth in each of his three letters that he writes. That theme is repeated in each of his letters. Gaius has remained faithful to the gospel. In the face of of probably very different opposition than what you and I face. He has not fallen for the false teaching that's clearly swirling around and, and that John is warning about. And he is the source, he is a source of the elder's greatest joy. Think about that for a second. Thinking about what is the source of your greatest joy. Moms, could it be that your children's academic success could be the source of your greatest joy? Or perhaps it's your your home that is the source of your greatest joy, that the structure, the house, the neighborhood. Dads, could it be that your children's athletic success could be the source of your greatest joy? Could it be that it's your profession, your job, your income level could be the source of your greatest joy? What is it that we show children that is of greatest worth to us? When all of this is on display... If we were to go around and ask your children, what, what does mom and dad, what do they prize most above all things? It would be interesting to hear what they say. But here's the thing. It's, it's not just about physical children. Gaius is not the son of John. He's a spiritual child. And so John is pastored probably for many years through, through, through dire circumstances. And his greatest joy is when his people are walking in the truth. And so if we see ourselves here as a family, we see what's on display for one another. What, what are we showing to, to younger people, to, to everyone really? What are we showing is of greatest worth to us? I remember I went to a, a sports game in a stadium, if that needed to be clarified. <laughs> and I remember seeing someone that had grown, I'd grown up in the church with as an older person, and they were just absolutely bonkers, crazy, fanatic over this sports score. And then the language that was being used, I'm not trying to draw a legalism line here. I just, I looked at him and I thought, that's sad. This is kind of depressing. That you, you clearly care too much for this. All these people are paid way too much money for you to care. <laughs> On the flip side of this, I also understand for many of you in this room that this can also be a source of your greatest pain. Because perhaps your children are not walking with the Lord. And I think John's word for us here is the same as the theme of what we've been talking about here. And it is that you remain steadfast in truth and in love. You don't use truth as a 
as a weapon to bring harm on someone. But truth is always paired well and perfectly and biblically with love, with care, with compassion, with generosity. And I think that would be John's word for us. Remain faithful to the truth and exhibit that in love. Then John praises Gaius for his hospitality to traveling preachers. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. It is his efforts for the brothers that are faithful. You see, it is not just what Gaius believes that is faithful, but it's also his actions. And it is because of what Gaius' faith is planted in that he can be faithful with his actions. His faith is planted in a living hope. His faith is planted in a resurrected hope. His faith is planted in an, un, in an unconquerable hope. His faith is planted in Christ. Who takes strangers and makes us his friends. And, and makes us his co-heirs. Just as Gaius has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone can take complete strangers, and yet because of our faith, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There, there is no stranger level to this. And these brothers and sisters in Christ, they're going back to John, and they're saying, well, we just preached in this town, and it was, it was amazing. In the town, there, we met this, this brother by the name of Gaius. And he was a brother strong in truth and, and a brother who loved well. And he took us in and he, and he cared for us. And he introduced us to the people of the church. He is a dear brother. How good it is when people speak well of us. And I don't mean that in like that is our goal because we are trying to be prideful. But I wonder if you've ever been having a conversation with a person and you mention someone who's dear to you and that person also knows that same person and that person starts gushing over, oh gosh, he's fantastic, she's wonderful. How much that person means to them. And, and then you start sharing short stories back and forth about that person on how, how helpful they were, how insightful they were. I remember in Australia, there was a, a, a well-known evangelist and preacher. He was contemporaries with John Stott and Dick Lucas. And just as those two men were never married, this man was never married. And clearly the Lord used their singleness to, to serve the, the church global so well. Uh, this man's name was John Chapman. And um, the Australians affectionately knew him as Chapo. He was funny, he was kind, he was generous, he was hospitable. He was a mentor to my pastor back in Sydney. He had done some work with dad when dad was in Australia. 
And I remember when Chapo died at his funeral, the, the Archbishop of, uh, of Sydney stood up and, and he was going on about how deep of an impact Chapo had had with, with so many people. And then he said, why don't we take a minute now and everyone share your own Chapo story with the person sitting next to you. And I mean, I almost burst into tears because not even one second had gone by and the whole church was filled with smiles and laughter and stories. It was immediate. It was like everyone was bursting, ready to share their own story of of their interaction with him. And, and, and And the thing was, they had to finally tell people to stop because they could have gone on for hours. I have a feeling that this would have been Gaius. I wonder what people would say about you at your funeral. Or to be less morbid, perhaps at a birthday party. (laughs) Some sort of celebration that is, is recognizing you some celebratory event of your life, would people easily share what an encourager you have been, what a help you are? I was privileged enough to be at one of these types of birthdays recently, and it was just profound hearing. And it wasn't like people were waiting and trying to think of a story. It was like immediately everyone thought of stories, and they were sharing about this friend of ours. Or would people talk about how you may have had your doctrine down to the dots of the I's and the crosses of the T's, but you had no love like Arthur Pink? Then John urges Gaius to carry on. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. These these men are doing the, the work of ministry for the benefit of people like Gaius. Therefore, they should be received and sent in a manner that is worthy of God. In a manner worthy of those whom God sends. They're his people. They're his workers. They're doing his work. They come as servants, just as Christ did. And where Christ had nowhere to lay his head and was cast out by so many and so many times in so many places, these men will face the exact same thing. But they will also be received by the community as well. And what a joy that is to be received and sent in a manner worthy of God. For they did not receive support from the pagans or from the Gentiles. Why? In the first century, there, there weren't universities and, and, and uh, trade schools. There were philosophers who would gather around in the town square and promote their own philosophy, would promote their own worldview. And they would start these schools of thought, and people would send their sons, if they were wealthy, to go and study under these philosophers. And some thought, just as there were Stoics and Cynics and Epicureans, there would be a school for Christians. There would be a a philosophy of, of Christian thought. They were just another philosophy of life. 
But you see, the Christians refused to take money for that, from, from support from pagans, because Christians were not saying that they were just another philosophy amongst a bunch of other philosophies. They were announcing the kingdom of God. They were telling people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is not just a philosophy, that is an absolute total worldview perspective that, that affects everything and everyone. So John says, these men came in the name of Christ, preaching the word of Christ, and they refused help from the pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, we may not be in the exact same position as Gaius or this church, but think about your care and support for missionaries. Think about your care and support for for ministries that that strive to, to take the gospel to others. Think about how you care and support the pastoral team here. Think about how you care and support your small group leader or your your Bible study leader. Think about what it means to support people who are in the work, in the vocation of ministry or, or even those who are doing it on the side. We are fellow workers for the truth. Our work as preachers is carried on by your support. Dad is able to go to the UK this week and next week because of your support. The work is leading to the change of ultimate destinies of people. And it can't be done alone. I read a letter from a young Muslim convert a while back. He was watching the Genesis series that we did not long ago. And he was going on about how it, was, it served him well and it blessed him and it encouraged him. You see, your support of the truth motivated by love is serving and blessing our community here and around the world. What a privilege that is to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself, something that is outside of us. And when we see people that are blessed and are walking in the truth, that can be our greatest joy. So let me conclude by asking you three questions. If you, if you have a pen, write them down. There's no excuses because there's pens in the back of the seat in front of you. These are questions I want you to meditate on today and throughout this week. Where does your greatest joy come from? Where does your greatest joy come from? What is the source of your greatest joy? Two, do people speak well of you when it comes to truth and love? Do people speak well of you when it comes to truth and love? And finally, are you a fellow worker for the truth? Are you a fellow worker for the truth? Some of you are closing your eyes, I assume, because you're thinking, 
and not because you're asleep, because people only sleep at 10.30. Well, we started on a laugh. We'll end on a laugh. Let me pray for us. Father, when we think of the relationship between you, the Father, and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and we think of that relationship before the cross and during the cross and on the cross, and we think of that great separation, that there was no response from heaven when Christ called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as believers, we understand that it is because of the weight of sin, our sin, that was placed upon him that created that separation. And so what is it of us to ask these questions of ourselves. We have received the truth. We seek to grow in the truth as we, as we pour ourselves in your word. But we've also disp- seen displayed for us through the scripture, the greatest of love. That is how we know what love is. And so Lord... It, whether we feel like we are truth people or love people and and we feel imbalanced in that, we ask that there would be a work of the Holy Spirit in us to help us find balance. Oh, Lord, that, that, that you would grow both of those in us. That we would be challenged by this if we feel we're less or lacking in some capacity, that you you would help us find opportunities to love, that you would help us find opportunities to speak truth. We know these are difficult things, but we also know what you have done for us and that these are by no means a meritorious way of earning your favor or of gaining heaven. No, that has already been promised to us in Christ. And so if our trust and our hope is in Christ, we would ask that you would bring transformation. Father, help us to grow in truth, in knowing truth. Help us to grow in understanding and showing love. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.